Well, in case you somehow didn't know, I think the cat's out of the bag now. Tyler told us tomorrow's Valentine's Day. So that would make today Valentine's Eve, right? And with the anticipation of love in the air and all this different stuff, I thought it might be a good time to tell you a love story. Not the 1970 movie called The Love Story starring Brian O'Neill and Ally McGraw, but a real, bona fide, genuine love story. Are you ready for this? All right. It occurred and happened many years ago. He was 13. She was 11. The first meeting of these two young children, young kids, happened on a baseball field or around a baseball field. It happened to be that her brother was playing on a team coincidentally coached by his dad. The 13-year-old boy looked towards the concession stand one particular evening while the team was playing and seen this preteen girl taking care of some children. And a thought, remarkably, has suddenly occurred to him as he was looking at this preteen girl taking care of the children, that she would make someone a good mother and good wife someday. And he had absolutely no idea it would be him. And there was certainly at that time no expression or feelings of love. But as the summer passed, the boy and the girl continued to see each other on multiple occasions. Because, of course, it was hard to avoid seeing each other because, again, her brother was playing for his dad's baseball team. So they would see each other quite often throughout the rest of that summer. And they would only talk at times in passing. They were kind of shy and immature. But one of the discussions one particular day was when her brother ran to the baseball dugout on the field and said, hey, guys, won't you all run up to the concession stand and see that black eye I gave my sister? So he, with the other boys on the team, couldn't wait to run up to the concession stand and see, sure enough, that black eye shining, something like Dan's right now, with that black eye that he had given her sister, his sister. And that was the kind of thing that passed for several months during that summer and maybe even to the next year or so. But eventually, the casualness of relationship began to change somewhat. Something more serious began to take place as they continued to see each other off and on. Again, nothing serious, really, but just kind of flirtatious and things happening and love being in the air. And then, suddenly, maybe unexpectedly a little bit, a romance began to bloom. And it seemed to continue to occur, especially as they got older, entered into high school. That's when the relationship maybe really began to take form of maybe love. Whenever he, on a particular evening, asked her to go with him. Now, it may seem silly to the current generation. I'm looking around and seeing some younger kids in the room thinking, did he really say, will you go with me? Yes, he did. Well, you go with me because back in the late 70s and early 80s, that's kind of what we did. When we wanted somebody to go together and be a couple, that's what we did. We said, will you go with me? Meaning, will you go with me to be my and I'll be yours? So he asked her on a particular evening, will you go with me? Now, he was a bright young man, okay? So he saw some clarification. He thought, maybe make sure this is true. So he said, now, when I say go with you, I don't mean go down with me to the concession stand. I mean, let's be together. So, yeah, he saw some clarification because he's so brilliant, you know. 
and he received a clarification before it went any further. And at the time then, it was customary. I don't know if it happens anymore or not. But he would give her his class ring, and she received it. She put the yarn on it because it was bigger than her finger and make it tight to the point where she could actually wear it as well. Now, advancing several years now into the love story, it came time for the boy and the girl to separate. He had graduated high school because he was really, I mean, he's brilliant, so he graduated high school, and all of a sudden, he lost capacity in his mind because he decided to go to Purdue. So he goes to Purdue University in West Lafayette, and she stays local in college. And so they got three plus hours of separation between the two of them. But the love continued to grow. They would write letters to one another. I don't think that happens anymore either between boys and girls. You know, you got your phone, you got text. It doesn't happen anymore. We write these love letters to each other. But they did, back and forth, as much as they could. But that love continued to grow stronger and stronger, so at times they couldn't stand it. He would just make the three-plus-hour trip south from West Lafayette to be with her. And if he couldn't make it, sometimes she'd drive north to West Lafayette to be with him for the weekend. It was just a great atmosphere as the two began to grow together in love. But it got more and more serious as it continued, to the point it began to talk about a future together, about being husband and wife. And suddenly, in Lovingly, in 1984, he actually began to propose to her. This is seven-plus years after initial meeting. He proposed to her and said, will you marry me? She wept and said yes. And all of a sudden then, on August the 4th of 1984, at the age when she was 19 and he was 21, they became married together. And still, they're together today. Happily, joyfully. 37-plus years, almost 38 now, years together, and rumor has it, they're in love more today than they were even then. They're empty nesters. They're aging gracefully. They're aging gracefully and enjoying life together. That's such a wonderful love story, isn't it? Now the question, who do you think that boy and girl is? You might know them. Who? <laughs> that is Sheila and Lai's love story. That's how we met. That's how we formed over the years. That is our wonderful love story. And she says sometimes, and I can't stand it, high school sweethearts. I really don't like that word, but that's true. That's who we were. And we're still together today. And I am very, very blessed that she is my wife. Thank you, Sheila. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all go home now. That's right. But here's the thing, okay? Whether you right now are in love or whether you are seeking love or whatever the case may be, we cannot ever dismiss the fact that the greatest celebration, the greatest illustration of love ever given to mankind is expressed in one name, and that is in Jesus. And it is right that we come together today upon the eve of Valentine's Day, as it is known, to celebrate this love given to mankind. But it's not just upon today, the eve of Valentine's, or tomorrow upon Valentine's Day, which we should think about and celebrate this type of love. It's actually every day we have a right, and we should celebrate the love that Jesus Christ had for mankind. It's his love for mankind, the giving of God's Son to this world, that we are so privileged to receive. 
So today we have a message, a love story. The text today is a sordid group of texts. It is from the Gospel of John and the Epistle John, 1 John. So stand with me this morning as we read an assortment of texts from the Gospel to John and his Epistle. If you just read with me behind the screen, you'll see the words. First is John 3.16, as Tyler led the children, a, a, a verse I memorized many different years ago. Of course, I memorized the King James Version, which says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A great verse for us all to memorize and to have in life. But also, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is John 15.13, again from the King James. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Another wonderful verse to be able to illustrate the love that God has for us. But in the epistle of 1 John, we find in chapter 4, more about love. It says in chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have love, God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then leaping to 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, a great verse for us also to memorize, we love because he first loved us. Let us pray. Father. Lord, we thank you for the time we can come together today to just think about and perhaps even celebrate your love you have for all of us. While I look around the room, Lord, and here today I see many, many people, Lord, if not every person today is a recipient of the love that you have for us. We are so blessed, Lord, to know that you give your only son for us. So, Lord, let us today receive the message you have chosen for us pertaining to the love that you've given to all of us, Lord. Let's receive it, place it in our heart, and just dwell upon it today. Again, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for having such immense love for us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, let me share with you today the Gospel of John, which we're beginning to read from, a couple of verses, John 3, 16 and 15, 13. But the Gospel of John, from the whole point, really, is written from perspective of the love God has for mankind. Because other than John 3.16 and John 15.13, which we singled out to read today pertaining to love, the word love is mentioned 57 times throughout the Gospel of John. Now, that is, a, is remarkable because when you put it in perspective to the other Gospels, when you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke and combine all the different times those three people put love in perspective, John exceeds that all that combined. So John mentions love 57 times, which is all more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the other gospels combined. So also then consider what John has written in his epistle. We read only five verses from his epistle, but it happens to be that how many times he mentions love throughout 1 John is 46 times. See, John then is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he talks about, writes about love continually and ongoing throughout the gospel and into all three of his epistles. But while we're on the word count that we have in the scripture with love, 
Let's go one further and recognize that the word love throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, is listed many, many different times. In fact, I have a count for you to recognize upon your favorite translation how many times that word is actually used. Now note that the English Standard Version that we prefer and use here has the word love to appear 684 times throughout the scripture. Notice how the King James is considerably lower, only 442 as it tells us. But you don't take in consideration that the King James lots of times uses the word charity rather than love. So the word charity is not counted towards the expression of love because the actual word is not used. You may see then that one with the highest word count of love is the Living Translation of 759. So there it is. I mean, it tells us again, through what we learn there about the word love, it does occur many, many times throughout the Scripture, whatever your favorite translation may be. But begin to ask why. Why is love, that word, why is love voiced and written and expressed so often in John, yes, and his epistle, but not just limited to them, but throughout the entire Bible, why? Why is it written and voiced and expressed so much? And the answer is because love is what drives people. Bethany Barrett states that there are some who say that as material urges of survival, others say anger and hurt is what drives people. However, love of country, love of family, even love of self, can rally people to powerful action, even if that love is misplaced. And I believe that Bethany makes a great point. Because love is a great, powerful force in our lives. And it all starts with God. God is the expression of love by giving us his son. So yeah, the word love is used many, many different times throughout the scripture. By the way, it's not the most often used word in the scripture. The most often used word throughout all the Bible is actually a noun. You know what it might be? It is the word Lord. Lord is used more often than any other word throughout all the Bible. But nonetheless, love is expressed hundreds of times as we noted earlier. And certainly is the greatest act of love ever recorded in the history of the world. Is when Jesus Christ died to pay for the sins of all mankind. It's the singular greatest act of love we could ever rethink about. Barrett picks up more of the perspective to place it, I mean, more the sacrifice to place a perspective for us when she continues her thought. and says, love is the center and obsession of books, of movies, of poems, and philosophy. People have done things that are brave and foolish, kind and cruel smart and stupid in its name. But no act of love will ever have a greater impact on creation than that singular act of redeeming love which put Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's without question that the greatest act of love that anybody has ever seen or could ever express to someone is that sacrifice that Christ made for us. It's the greatest illustration of love we shall ever even fathom. Because, you know, it is time for love. As I mentioned, it's Valentine's Eve. So 
maybe this week, maybe you haven't, maybe you have, been trying to go about trying to find what your Valentine will be and what you can give her to him to express your love that you have for him or her. And typically then, as we go on about trying to find out how we can express that love, it's the ordinary things a lot of the time, like flowers or maybe candy or chocolate or sometimes it's jewelry. There's even those teddy bears and things sometimes associated with the atmosphere of love on Valentine's Day as it begins to approach as we begin to purchase that gift for our loved one. But I Googled the question this year pertaining to the most popular Valentine gifts. And I found it's not so much the things of flowers and candy and jewelry. It's much different this year. In fact, Amazon has eight notable items that people are purchasing for their Valentine this year. And I don't even know what half of these things are. But here's number one. You ready for this? The greatest thing purchased on Amazon for their Valentine, I'm hoping this is how you pronounce it, is Ugg Slippers. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't even know what they are. I have a pair of Real King slippers, and I love them. They're fine. I think Ugg's probably more expensive, and I don't need them then. Real King is king, okay? Yeah, I like it. They're fine for me. And then secondly, listen to this one. Second most popular item on Amazon. People are getting for the Valentine. It shocks me. Olapex shampoo and conditioner. For real? Are you telling your loved one to take a shower, take a bath? I don't get it. Number three, and I don't understand this one. A Capri blue candle. What is that? Is it just a burning candle? What's so special about it? Number four, Zima silk silk pillowcase. Okay, that might be something. A silk pillowcase might be pretty cool. Number five was rather interesting, and it might be understandable for a relationship. The fifth most popular item people are buying from Amazon for the Valentine is Sony noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> okay, that might be understandable, too. Number six, I don't even know what this is. Kendra Scott Elisa or Elisa pendant necklace. Never heard of it. Don't have any idea what that is. Ellie, you know what it is? Oh, you have one now? All right, good. I don't know what it is still. Number seven, we're getting close to eight. I don't know what this is either. The eighth, the seventh most popular item that people buy from Amazon, Sunday Riley CEO. Does anybody know? Is it what? Skincare. Hmm. Interesting. And then finally, number eight of the all of us Googled on, on, on Amazon to find out what people are buying for their loved one. It was also rather interesting, but I understand it perhaps. A citizen watch to maybe make sure the man gets home on time, right? Or that the woman can know when to have dinner ready. Whatever the case may be. Yes, I did go there. All right, so the question really becomes this then. Are these the greatest gifts, illustration of love to be able to give to mankind? Of course, the answer is no. We know it's not. The greatest gift, the greatest illustration of love ever given to mankind is Jesus himself. Again, there is no greater illustration or dimensions of love. And because of the fact that he loves us so much, 
It leads us to three points for consideration this morning for our message. And here they are. Because of his love, I have received love. Because of his love, I have the ability to love. And because of his love, I am love. Let's take a few moments this morning and expand upon the three of these briefly. The first again is because of his love, I have received love. Here's the thing. You, me, all of mankind, everyone, we are the recipient of God's love. And I believe the verse that that best tells us that we are the recipients of God's love is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, it goes beyond human comprehension that God loves us so much. I mean, amazingly, even though we continue to sin and offend him with our sins, he continues to love us anyway. Now think about any relationship that you have in life. If someone would sin and offend you so much, you begin to have some hate and some anger toward them. But that's not God. Even though we continue to sin against him, he loves us anyway because we are recipient of his love. Remarkably, uh, many years ago, back in 2009, the contemporary uh, Christian artist, uh, Sidewalk Prophets, actually kind of put this perspective for us that God loves us anyway when they wrote a song that voiced this truth. Here's some of the lyrics you may see behind me. It says, I am the thorn in your crown, but you love me anyway. I am the sweat from your brow, but you love me anyway. I am the nail in your wrist, but you love me anyway. I am Judas's kiss, but you love me anyway. And that's true. Anything that we do against our God, he forgives us. And he loves us anyway. I mean, it's an unfathomable love that he has for us. A love that we cannot fully comprehend. But yet, it's a love that we have received. Because of his love, I have received love. And secondly, we found that because of his love, I have the ability to love. The verse that best illustrates this truth is 1 John 4, 19, which says, we love because he first loved us. That's how we have the ability. We can love because he first loved us. Now, as you think about that, begin to process that, here's a question. Do you think... Just think about it. Do you think it is possible that we would know love without Jesus? Just think about the question. Because it really takes some time to think that through. So let me ask the question once more. Do you think it is possible that we would know love without knowing without, without Jesus? Now, to answer the question, we should refer back perhaps real quickly so it will be found in 1 John chapter 4, particularly verse 8, which says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, I ask you this. Is verse 8 saying that without Jesus, we cannot know or have the ability to love? Now, as you think about that, I also Googled that question. And found a variety, I mean a wide an assortment of opinions of the answer. Is verse 8 saying that without Jesus, we cannot know or have the ability to love? 
So here is some record of who people would answer the question. One guy commented this way. It's a run-on sentence, so pardon me. He says, people love each other without having read an instruction manual. And the instruction manual that you would no doubt prefer, namely the Bible, is full of all kinds of things that are gruesome and not very loving, especially the behavior of God himself, who seems quite a tyrant in the Old Testament. And it's hard to imagine how one can love such a God while having good reason to fear his behavior if one believes he exists. Is it a continuing run-on sentence? But you see his point. He doesn't think that it would be so. Or maybe this one, which is more simple. See, gods are not real. Love is a chemical reaction. So everybody can love without the help from an imaginary friend. Now, the text that maybe this particular person is referring to as that imaginary friend that we have, which we know is not imaginary, but is real, comes from maybe John chapter 15, when it reads in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, you may, my, that my joy may be in your joy, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, verse 13, greater love have no one than this. For someone lay down for his friends. Notice the word friends. Verse 14, he says simply, you are my friends if you do what I command. So note that these verses state that we're God's friends. We're not servants. We're God's friends. When we choose to obey and keep the commandments, we become friends of God. It's not an imaginary friend, as the previous guy had alluded to. It's a real, genuine friend we have in Jesus. But let's go back to the question once more. We've heard some secular answers and some reasoning that, to me, seems completely absurd. But the question again is, do you think it is possible that we would know love without Jesus? So one commentary then I began to read simply said this, no. Love cannot exist without God. It cannot exist without God. And the support was from our reading today in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, which says, Let us love one another, for love is from God. In verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Notice how it begins to almost get repetitious. Love is from God. God is love. Essentially saying the same thing, that God is the essence of love and the reason. He's the essence of love and the reason that we have the ability to love one another. The commentary stated it this way. If love finds its origins in God, and it does according to the scripture, then love cannot exist without God. God is the ultimate ontological foundation for not only love, but all things that exist within his creation. God is the objective moral standard by which we can measure the difference between love and hate. So then we got differing opinions. We got man's secular reasoning. And we also have, according to scripture, and maybe commentary tossed in for support. So then with differing opinions, how can we have understanding? 
I mean, again, the question is, do you think it is possible that we could know love without Jesus? And perhaps then the answer is maybe based on how one defines love. Because in secular definition, it is all about feeling. The secular definition defines it simply as feeling. Number one, it says love is an intense feeling of deep affection. Or secondly, it is a great interest and pleasure in something. That's how secular people, people today, the worldview defines love. It is based upon a feeling. So many times in premarital counseling, people come into the idea that love is based upon a feeling. I point them to the scripture because Paul does not tell us it's based upon feeling. Paul tells us something different. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul defined love more precisely. He says in verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love is not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices within the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. I don't see any words there from Paul, from the scripture. Love is a feeling. I don't see it. So love is not a feeling. The love we receive from God is a direct love. We have the ability to love others. Because of his love for us, we have the ability to love others. Not based upon a feeling. Now, somehow that's confusing. Let me provide a, maybe a fitting summary. Because we could maybe say it this way. If he or she does not love Jesus, he or she will not love you. Jesus is love. Process that. If he or she does not love Jesus, then he or she will not love you. Now, parents, that's great advice to give to your children. If he or she does not love Jesus, he or she will not love you. Our whole second point, because of his love, we have the ability to love. And then finally, it was the third point. Because of his love, I am loved. Again, my two favorite verses I have in Scripture is 1 John 3.15 and now John 15.13. John 15.13, again, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I know, and you should know, I know I am loved because Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for me. He wrote those very words. John wrote those words of the Lord in John chapter 10, verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 14, same chapter, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Yes, Jesus Christ does lay down his life for all of us. In life, we will find no greater act of love than that love of Jesus had for us. In life, you may never find what you may call true love. But with Jesus, you will love so much that he willingly laid down his life for you. And that is true love. So because of his love, because of his sacrifice, you are loved. 
Jesus was thinking of you. Anytime you begin to picture Jesus on the cross, put your name there thinking Jesus was thinking of me. When he went to the cross, he was thinking of me because he loved me so much. That is the greatest love story ever. That Jesus would take our place upon that cross. So it's a simple message. And today we come together on the eve of Valentine's. And we recognize that the very essence of true love, the very essence of true, amazing, unfathomable, uncomprehendable love is found only in one name. It is found only in Jesus. Father, Lord, we thank you for being a recipient of your love. Perhaps, Lord, you're not wanting any thanks, but we thank you today because you are good. And you give us love, Lord, and we receive the love of your Son. Let's today, Lord, just reflect upon that. It's not difficult. It's not a message of any kind of extraordinary means, Lord. It's just a simple little message to tell us today how much you love us and how much we should fully appreciate that love. It also reminds us, Lord, of how we have the capacity to love others. Because you do love us. I'm thankful, Lord, for the fact that we could show love yesterday to Nick, to Jackson and Tucker and Declan. A family, Lord, that fully needs to receive love from this family. I'm glad we can be there for them, Lord, and I pray that we continue to surround them with all the love you've given to us and be there for them at every step they take. But let us all be there for each other. I thank you, Lord, for a great family atmosphere we have here at Crossroads and how love is in the air, not just today, not just tomorrow, but love is in the air here every time we come together. And I thank you, Lord, for being at the center of that love. Again, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.